My good people, greetings, how are you? How are you maintaining? How are you feeling? Are you staying positive, staying active, doing the best you can throughout the course of this pandemic? It looks like we're just getting started here. If you're in New York like I am, or even in California or Washington, where the governors of each of those states have mandated everybody to stay at home, not even to go to work, not even to travel. Everybody has to be smart and do the best that they can to get through this thing. And hopefully we could get through it sooner than later. We'll discuss that a little bit later on. But right now we're going to get to the toy store department of life, which is sports. And I'll have it all for you on a big giant silver platter on this edition of the J Reels podcast. Is this your host, J Reels? For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 119 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, March the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2020. Spring is in full effect, airy season for a lot of people, including yours truly. But to put that aside, a segment I like to call the J Reels. What's the deals? That's right. What is going to encompass over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour? It goes as follows. LeBron James had a very interesting admission to his Instagram live feed. For the first time, he put himself out there to answer a few questions and interact with fans. One of the things that he touched on was the 2012 Big Three of the Miami Heat, how it possibly could have been disbanded after a potential series loss to the Boston Celtics. That's right. I was shocked when I saw that. And we could certainly detail game by game as far as LeBron. We all know that game six will certainly recap that and rehash all of what he said, and including that uh, crazy series that ended with the Heat going to the NBA Finals. The NHL now being afflicted with the coronavirus as two players from the Ottawa Senators, that's right, north of the border, were affected by this. So we have a couple of NHL notes to get into, as well as college basketball. We have players declaring for the draft on a day which we should have been recapping the first four days of the tournament with a Sweet 16 starting on Thursday, but we all know that's not the case. But CBS did do a smart thing and broadcast a few of its classic games over the years. So that's something we'll certainly chew on later in the podcast, as well as MLB with some injury updates regarding two key players in the AL East. Also, my hero in Zero of the Week. But we must thank our lucky stars for the football gods, or even the sports gods for that matter, because if it wasn't for the NFL and all the free agent activity that took place over the past week, who knows what we would talk about today. And I understand a lot of people looked at the NFL as maybe somewhat of a saving grace Because with no games being played and with not much sports news going around, you had to pretty much grasp the straws as to what to bring forth to the table when you're producing a podcast like this to entertain everybody and also to inform at the same time. But And I get that you had some detractors there with what's going on in the world and a lot of people thinking, is this the right time for the NFL to open season or to open business when you're having players sign these enormous contracts where people are losing their jobs left and right? And that's... Certainly an argument and definitely debatable. But as a sports fan, I'm sure for those who are looking for different outlets and when they hear the news coming forth, whether it's Tom Brady, which obviously we'll get into and that's the big name or even the big trade that took place just a few hours after I finished this podcast with the Cardinals and Texans, which was certainly controversial to say the least. And I'll get into that as well. For what I do, you're just looking to get any type of news from any direction And again, if it wasn't for the NFL, who knows how long this podcast or how far this podcast would have gone. But we don't have to worry about that till another time. That's something that I'm working on behind the scenes. So for at least for this podcast, we could certainly take a big deep breath and get into all the activity that happened in the National Football League. And we'll start off with that trade. I get Tom Brady is the highlight 
with the post on Instagram last week, pretty much saying goodbye to New England and then everything that encompassed that. Oh, geez, all the conspiracy theories. I know Seth Wickersham yesterday in ESPN, he had a big article about that. And I believe he was the same writer that uncovered the whole Garoppolo, Belichick, Brady, Kraft, that cauldron of emotions and all that encompassed as far as those four particular parties are concerned. But back to the Cardinals and Texans. They were the ones that pretty much jump-started this whole craziness because when Coach Bill O'Brien, who is also the GM of the Houston Texans, and we all know he's not a great coach, well, he's certainly showing his warts of being a bad GM because for him to trade his best player, and let's just say for right now that DeAndre Hopkins was, at this point, the best player on the Houston Texans, you could say J.J. Watt, but he's been hurt a lot over the course of the last few years. And you can look at Deshaun Watson and arguably say that he's the best player in the team, but he's still young and coming into his own. But Hopkins, as we all know, is an all-pro stud, one of the top two or three wide receivers in the game. And for him to be traded to the Cardinals for David Johnson, and understand picks are going to be thrown about too, but the Cardinals got away with a steal of a lifetime. And I understand last week I talked about the steal of a lifetime when it came to Calais Campbell, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Ravens got him pretty much for next to nothing. But when you get a talent like DeAndre Hopkins and you figure that, oh, how many number one picks went back or how many top picks went the other way? And when you look and see that all the Texans got was a 2020 second round pick and a 2021 fourth round pick, if you're not... Cal McNair, who is the owner of the team. Of course, his dad, Bob McNair, passed away a couple of years ago. If you greenlighted this move from your GM in a one Bill O'Brien, you have to get your head examined. I get that there seemed to be some beef there toward the end between O'Brien and Hopkins, even though Hopkins came out in his Twitter account and he said that he was cool with the coach, that everything was fine, no beef, no type of adversarial component there. But when you look at pretty much the return that the Texans got, and David Johnson, when he is healthy, and that is underlined, when he is healthy, he is a very productive and effective player. But that's been his problem throughout the course of his career is that he's been unable to stay healthy, whether it's bad knees in particular. And he's just had the worst luck when it comes to staying on the field. And for now, the Cardinals to get a guy who is not a speedster by any stretch, but he we know what type of hands he has, and he's a great route runner, He's pretty much a Larry Fitzgerald light. And we know Larry Fitzgerald, who's coming back for his 17th season, he'll play the slot, but now to have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, who they'll double team for the most part, will certainly make a very interesting wide receiver combo for one Kyler Murray that you would think that the Arizona Cardinals will be trending north, where the Houston Texans, although in a bad division, will certainly be trending south. And that's how I look at it, because why would you trade a guy like Hopkins, and I'm not making him out to be Jerry Rice, but to trade him to get that in return, and I get that Hopkins, who wanted to get an extension on his deal, who had three more years left, and I guess they didn't want to deal with the headache of having to renegotiate a contact contract or get into the whole machinations of trying to appease their best player, but when you have a guy like that on your team, and we all know that he's pretty much the focal point of that offense as of right now, I understand it's the quarterback, I get it a thousand percent, but with a team that does not have a big running game and does not have a big receiver other than Hopkins, to me, you had to do whatever it takes to keep this guy on your team. If you're looking 
to get to some Super Bowl aspirations. Because winning a division and winning a wild card game is not going to cut it. But I guess that's how the Texans are going to operate. And until Bill O'Brien is out in Houston, and if Cal McNair and company could get their heads on straight, this franchise is just going to be pretty much a one-and-done type team when it comes to the postseason. Or two-and-done if they do win a wild card game at home, big whoop. But that was just a disgrace to have that type of player. I know if he was on my team, I would be, I would tear up my season tickets or pretty much put him in the fireplace right now because that is just an atrocity. So that pretty much jump started all the moves, pretty much, or pretty much set the tone for the next few days to follow. And you had a bunch of, and listen, I'm not going to go through every single detail. I'm not going to go through every transaction because there were a ton of them. And there were a lot of small ones, you know, offensive linemen going here and people getting extended as far as contracts are concerned, like Eric Armstrong of the 49ers. He got a deal there for five years and obviously he's been a force on that front line with Nick Bosa. Now the one guy that's not going to be on there who was part of a big trade to Indianapolis was DeForest Buckner, where the Colts sent a number one pick back, which I believe is 13th here in the upcoming draft next month. That was a good move, I think, for both teams. Obviously, the Niners get a number one pick. And then the Colts solidify that defensive line with a guy who is a stud, to say the least. And the Niners certainly had an abundance. It could be argued that they could have kept Buckner for one more year. All of the Giants, you want to have all these pass rushers. You want to have guys that are going to be disruptive. But when you have Armstead, when you have Boza, of course, they had Buckner there. They felt that if we can get a number one pick back, why not make the trade? And it was smart for them. We know pass rush is critical in the NFL. Just look at the Giants and their two Super Bowl victories over the Pats. But they felt like they could not have to worry about dealing with Buckner as far as his free agency is concerned, which I believe would be a free agent after next year. And then they get a number one pick in the process. Who knows what they're going to do with that. But kudos to them for making that trade and kudos to the Colts for solidifying a defensive line where... We know it's been a far cry from the Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis days of about a decade ago. So you had those two deals there that were huge between the Hopkins trade and then, of course, DeForest Buckner. And let's get right to it. Oh, you also had the Stephon Diggs. Let me talk about that real quick. And this is the reason why Bill O'Brien needs to be ousted, jettisoned. I mean, he couldn't leave Houston any faster. And I bet if it wasn't for the coronavirus, he certainly uh, would have been long gone, especially when the fans' eyes and hearts but all jokes aside, it's a thing where Stephon Diggs, who wanted out, he's another guy that wants an extension. He's a me guy, as we all know. He gets traded to the Bills. But what the Bills do, they give up a slew of picks. So although they weren't all top picks, I thought there were a couple number ones. So my bad. They do get a number one pick this year, which is 22nd overall. They'll get a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick, and then next year's fourth round pick. But you mean to tell me that Bill O'Brien couldn't get anything close to that? And I understand salaries were tricky because Hopkins is making a ton of money and they probably had to take a salary back in Johnson who got a big contract a few years ago. So you figure that they weren't going to be any top picks exchanged. But still, you mean to tell me that that's all you could have got considering that Stephon Diggs is nowhere near among the elite level that DeAndre Hopkins is that you couldn't get anything close to a number one pick or anything as high as I believe, what was it, a fourth round pick? Or maybe they got a second round pick but for next year? I mean, it's just a joke. And not to knock Diggs, you know, Diggs obviously has ability. He's certainly a very good and competent receiver, but he is certainly not amongst the 
Forget about even the top five. He's probably not even the top 10 wide receiver in the league. So those are the two or three big trades that led to pretty much Tom Brady and his news of as to where he was going to go next. And a lot of people thought it was going to be Tampa only because of warm weather, East Coast, Arians, who's obviously good with quarterbacks as he's worked with Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, just those three guys who are three of the top quarterbacks here the last 10 to 15 years. And then you also had a situation where maybe in the Chargers with Phillip Rivers going to Indianapolis and he signed a one-year deal for $25 million. I understand it's one year, but really $25 million? I thought that was a bit much, but as far as Brady was concerned, a lot of people thought that the Chargers would be in the mix considering that they have to sell PSLs, that they have to do whatever it takes to bring in a guy that's going to put their fan base, whatever fan base that's in L.A., because I'm sure a lot of the fans that were in San Diego certainly weren't going to take the two-hour drive up to where they played in Carson the last few years. So you could forget about what the Chargers have done there as far as trying to bring any type of hype, any type of momentum into this new building that they're going to share with the Rams next year. But when we look at the Brady deal, the, the one thing I'm going to say here, I'm not going to dissect the whole dynamic between Belichick Kraft and Brady because pretty much what it came down to was the amount of years of the deal I'm sure they wanted to go year by year they certainly weren't going to invest in a two-year deal we all know about Brady wanting to play till he's 45 and it'll be 43 in August so knowing that Brady wanted to have at least two years under his belt in upwards of anywhere between 50 to 60 million dollars which is what he got down in Tampa And we all know that the Patriot way is not overpaying their players, is getting the tough-minded, the hard-nosed football player, which we all know Tom Brady is. But they know that in order for them to be complete, they have to have a balance on their salary cap to the point where one guy is not going to hamstring their cap, even if it's a guy that's won him six Super Bowls, a guy that is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, and as we all know, is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And kudos to them. I got to give it up because I have to look at it from, even from my team. And not to delve into that too much, but if Ben Roethlisberger, if he goes in there and has a, let's say if he has a so-so year or even a borderline bad year for him, I'll have to look at it even as a fan, as much as I've loved him and love the team, but you always have to look at the team first. And if it means that they have to cut him, if it means they have to release him, whatever it is, then so be it. And... We get that Tom Brady is a fixture in New England. He is the Mr. Patriot. He's the all-time Patriot. We all know that. And I know fans are going to get sentimental, and I'm sure there was a lot of disappointment knowing that he was going to come back. I don't think it was anger or anything like that because I'm not going to say that they thought that the writing was on the wall, but they knew that this day was going to come. So if Belichick and Kraft, I'm sure they wanted Brady to come back. I'm sure they just... Didn't want to dispose him or look at him as yesterday's newspaper to think, ah, we don't need him. We're going to move on. Thanks for the memories. Goodbye. Put it this way. If Brady said, I'm going to come back, I'll play for the minimum or play for, you know, $9, $10 million, I'm sure they would have ran the contract over to Tom Brady's house and have him sign on the dotted line. But we all know Brady, in the twilight of his career, he wants to get paid. And we know for all these years, he sacrificed not getting the million paydays that the Aaron Rodgers of the world, the Russell Wilsons of the world, even when he was playing the Andrew Lux of the world, and then now 
soon to be the Dak Prescotts of the world. So, you know, you got to give it up for Brady to say, it's time for me to move on. I'm sure he wanted a different challenge here at this stage of his career. He's going to a team that's young, that I'm sure he'll be reinvigorated. I'm the fan base, the 3,000 of the Buck fans that are out there. I'm sure they're rejuvenated. They're ready to go, raring to go. Even a lot of the players on the team, Mike Evans, the wide receiver, said that he can't believe that he's actually going to be playing with Tom Brady. And that's great because it certainly brings a different dynamic to the NFL season next year as opposed to, all right, New England, who are they going to play in the AFC Championship game? We get that this year wasn't the case because they didn't have the weapons on offense and we know that they were one and done here this past postseason. But more often than not, we've seen this movie before with the Pats that they'll have a typical 11-5, 12-4 AFC East. Chances are they'll have a bye. They didn't have it this year, as we all know, but they did it to themselves by losing to Miami in that final game of the season. So they have nobody to blame but themselves. But it would have been the same old story in the AFC if Brady would have stayed there. Now, you have a dynamic in Tampa where although Drew Brees resigned two years for $50 million, and they've also received some upgrades on offense when it comes to the wide receiver position with Emmanuel Sanders signing there for two years. And the Saints poised to make one last run with number nine under center to try to get back to a Super Bowl. That pretty much the only obstacle in that division is going to be the Saints, where Carolina is certainly taking a few steps back. And Atlanta, although they made some moves here in getting Todd Gurley in for one and also getting Dante Fowler Jr., both from the Rams, that maybe they'll try to make one push there with Matt Ryan, a quarterback. But as we all know, Tampa's going to be the darlings, not only of the league this year, but you would think of uh, NFC South, where they're going to be competing for division, most likely against the Saints. And then now in New England, they did sign Brian Hoyer to a one-year contract. Who knows if he's going to be the guy to step in. We understand Jared Stidham, the guy they drafted last year, could be a possibility at quarterback. But the one thing that we can finally say going into an NFL season, and who knows, there's still a lot of offseason to be left here. We know Cam Newton doesn't have a job. Andy Dalton doesn't have a job. There's still some quarterbacks that are out there that even though they may not fit the Patriot mold, but with Bill Belichick, we all know that he's the type of guy where the market will come back to him. And next thing you know, you could see it sometime in, let's say, mid-April or right before the draft because he hasn't been signed, that Cam Newton will sign a one-year deal with the Patriots. And that's not to automatically say that if Cam Newton is going to be the quarterback of the Pats for 2020, that it's going to be a 12-4 and season, the typical Patriots script that we've seen year in and year out for the past two decades. But having a player like that, obviously you'd feel a lot more confident with Cam Newton taking them a lot farther in the postseason than a Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham is concerned. But you have those storylines there that you could go into next year and you could argue whether or not who needed who more? Did Brady need Belichick or Belichick needed Brady? Well, we're going to see that at least for this coming year. Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hope, a lot of promise down in Tampa, and even a lot of pressure. Even with a guy that's 43 years old. Because although I'm sure the fan base and maybe a lot of the league are not expecting the Buccaneers to go to the Super Bowl, but I'm sure they're probably looking at at least getting to a divisional playoff. And that's going to be a lot. For a Tampa Bay Buccaneer team that has not seen the postseason in 12 years. Going on 13. So those are stories for down the line. But at least it adds 
to a lot of the excitement once you get into the summer. Obviously, with training camps opening, we'll, we'll see, considering the way the world is as of right now. But it's still a few months away. We hope that things will clear up by then and that we'll have some normalcy and get a full training camp and not wonder if this is going to bleed into the summer and who knows, even into an NFL season. So with Brady and Belichick, that's what you have there. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more stories as far as... And I read the Seth Wickersham piece yesterday, which was the same person that I believe he wrote the piece back two, three years ago with the Brady Garoppolo... Belichick craft deal where Brady said he was going to play to 45 trade Garoppolo obviously Belichick was reluctant to trade him because he knows how important it was to have that quarterback for the afterlife once Tom Brady were to move on and I'm talking about football afterlife so before anybody starts getting crazy about me using that word we're just talking about it from a sports football sense but in this piece yesterday a lot of it was more Understandably so, it's just analysis of body language, of things that were said, certain sources looking at Brady saying that he's tired of this, tired of the Patriot way. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Even that last press conference that he had after the loss to Tennessee, he had a big giant duffel bag where generally in years past, if the, and I'll mind you, they've made it to a Super Bowl, but he never walked off the stage thinking that it was going to be the end. There was always a tomorrow when it came to New England. When this time around, it looked like he had his stuff packed as if it was a metaphor for him saying that this is the last time you guys are going to see me. So here I am walking off out of Foxborough, out of Gillette Stadium with this bag as if to say, goodbye guys, I'll see you at my next destination. And obviously that was the big news there. I mean, I could talk about all these other big deals that went down. You know, the Dolphins have made a lot of moves, including a one Kyle Van Noy, who is a, as we all know, a former Patriot. As I scroll through these, I know last week I talked about Mariota. I thought he would be a, a, and I gave it some thought since then as far as being a fit to back up Ben Roethlisberger, a guy who's a mobile quarterback, has ability, hasn't shown it consistently at the NFL level. But I would think that playing, and I'm not going to go as far as playing in the system, but knowing that it's a, Pass-oriented system, obviously with all the key weapons that need to be there because we, when you think of the Steelers, you think of the Killer Bees with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. You think of those days. But I thought Mariota would have been a decent fit there for Pittsburgh, but he goes to the Raiders. So pretty much you wonder what's going to happen there with uh, Derek Carr, if there's going to be a controversy between him and Mariota or Mariota be the backup. Amari Cooper. I get that they had to sign him. They needed to have a number one receiver. They almost needed to justify trading a number one pick to get him on board. But for five years at $100 million, uh, what is this? Is he Randy Moss? Is he Jerry Rice? And that's not the not Cooper. Cooper is a phenomenal talent. We understand that he's a very productive player. He's been very good. He's been really what the Cowboys have needed. But for $100 million, I just thought that was way too much. Now, could you imagine a lot of these other guys that are, whether they come to their own or, or come into their own, or a guy that's looking to get that big payday, he's going to say, well, hey, I want what Amari Cooper got. And I think the last contract that we saw in the NFL where a wide receiver got that much money was Calvin Johnson. When Megatron, I believe, signed that crazy deal, what was it, 7 for, I want to say it was 7 for $126 million. I want to go as far as saying that, but again, he is Calvin Johnson. A lot of people call him Megatron for a reason. Now, is Amari Cooper Calvin Johnson? I think not. 
So that was one deal that I understand the Cowboys had to make. They certainly had to put all their chips in the middle of the table considering they franchised Dak Prescott. They needed to keep that offense intact. But at the tune of $100 million, oof, that, that was too rich for my blood. Robert Quinn signs with the Bears. And of course, the Bears have made a lot of moves here over the course of the last few days. They re-signed Danny Trevathan. And I'll go to some of the other moves they made later on. I know the Raiders added uh, Corey Littleton. I know another guy off the Rams who had been uh, let go. And the Rams have had cap trouble to begin with. We talked about Gurley going to Atlanta. He goes back to Georgia, of course, where he played college. Gurley's a guy that I think he's shot. He hasn't shown me otherwise over the last two years, pretty much since the NFC Championship game against the Saints there. Since then, he has not done anything close to his all-pro self back three, four years ago. Michael Brocker signs with the Ravens as another guy who jumped ship from the Rams as they're just going through cap hell. I mean, think about it. They signed Goff to that big deal, Aaron Donald to that big deal. They're going to have to sign Jalen Ramsey to a big deal coming up. So they are pretty much have their hands tied when it comes to getting those or securing not only their own players, but even trying to bring in free agents from the outside. And of course, the Panthers, we know about Teddy Bridgewater, which is one of the reasons why Cam Newton is gone. He signs a three-year, $60 million deal. And as I said last week, and give it up, you know, Bridgewater, who performed well with Drew Brees going on the shelf there for a few weeks of that broken thumb, but he got $60 million. I talked about that last week with Chase Daniel, you know, getting that money, type $10 million as a backup. And he's only thrown, I said, 50 passes. He's thrown over 200. But... What I, I mean, what can I tell you? Hey, if you're a quarterback in this league and you're able to throw the ball and get some victories under your belt, you're going to get a big payday. That's all there is to it. I know, Jason Witten. I'm the, I don't want to knock this guy. I don't because we all, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if I had my cousin, my former radio partner, JD, on the air, for him to go to the Raiders, and who am I to tell him what to do with his life? And listen, God bless him. I hope he has a good year. I hope he performs well. I hope... That his final, that would you think of his final year would be a great year, but I, again, I don't want to kill the guy. I, I know I'm making it sound like I'm killing him for making the decision, and who am I to tell him what to do with his life, of course. And listen, God bless him. I, I want him to do well. I don't want him to do poorly, but we all know he is a shell of his old self. He just is. If you haven't watched the games, then uh, you need to go back and... I'm sure on YouTube, they got a lot of the Cowboy games from last year, and he certainly was not the all-pro or not even close to the Pro Bowl self that he once was. The Cowboys shore the defensive line by getting Gerald McCoy, signing him for three years. Remember Robert Quinn, who had a very good year there last year. He moved on to the Bears. And speaking of the Bears, I know I mentioned earlier, as far as some of the moves that they made, the one big move was the future of a one Mitchell Trubisky because Nick Foles, as we all know, Super Bowl hero from the Philadelphia Eagles a couple years back. He was acquired from Jacksonville, who were pretty much purging everybody, as we know, for a fourth-round pick. Bears, I'm sure they have a lot of money, considering that the contract there for Nick Foles, I believe he signed, what, four years, $88 million. I forgot how much guaranteed, but I understand that's more of the Jaguars' problem. But the Bears were certainly able to get the guy who pretty much beat them in the postseason last year, or two years ago now, and now they have him on their team. But with Foles, you got to worry about his health. As we all know, he got hurt in that first game and pretty much missed, I believe, what, the first eight, nine games of the season. And when he came back, he was inefficient. And since they're going in the direction with Gardner Minshew, they looked at it from a standpoint of we could go ahead and 
see if we could chop Foles to another team and the Bears were the one that bit. So they're able to now see what they could do as far as claiming some of that magic in his right arm that when he displayed in Philadelphia and the Bears, as we all know, with their quarterback issues, with Trubisky not knowing if he's the guy, who knows if Foles is going to be more of an insurance policy or is he going to be the guy to step in to take over? That's what training camp is going to be about and we'll certainly see how that uh, goes at that time. I know you had a swap there with the Chargers. It wasn't really a trade, but when you look at it from standpoint of the two teams, Chris Harris, who was the corner, disgruntled in Denver, goes to the Chargers, and then Melvin Gordon signs with the Broncos as a running back for two years. I believe his deal was two years, $15 million. I think 11 of it was guaranteed. But here's a guy who held out pretty much most of the last year, wanted to get a contract close to what Todd Gurley received and even Ezekiel Elliott. And look what he has, a two-year deal for $15 million. So we all know that sometimes when you hold out, it could certainly harm you more than it could help you. And as we saw last year, it certainly helped for Zeke Elliott. But with Malcolm Gordon, it certainly hurt him more. And now we'll see how he performs there in the mile high in Denver. I mean, you have all these deals that went down here. And I could spend, you know, it seems like 10 hours going through all this stuff. But as we look through right now, you know, Darius Slay, I know was a big deal the other day where the Eagles were able to get two draft picks for him in this upcoming draft. And Slay's going to use the number 24 in honor of Kobe, which is good on his part. And again, you have a bunch of small deals, you know, Flacco being released, no surprise there. Also, Clay Matthews, I forgot he was also released from the Rams as they're trying to get themselves under the cap. And that's what happens when you load yourself up with all these players. And even though they made it to a Super Bowl and lost... The bad thing about it is that now you pretty much have to get out of cap hell and start over. And that's what Sean McVay and company are in the process of doing right now. So that's what you have there with the NFL people. And I know I'm missing one of the deal. I know Eric Ebron signed with the Steelers. They also signed uh, Stefan Wisniewski to play uh, offensive line as Ramon Foster had retired. He was on the team for 11 years. Everson Griffin saying goodbye. He was a longtime Viking. See where he goes. We talked about Emmanuel Sanders, who's certainly going to be a plus there in that fast track down in New Orleans. And then, uh, yeah, who knows where Jameis Winston's going to go. That's also the big news. And then I know I'm missing one of the deal here as I'm scrolling through. The other deal that just happened, I want to say it was with the Bears too. Yeah, Barcavius Mango signed a one-year deal. No big deal. Yeah, that's nothing really to shake a stick at. But that's what we have there with the NFL people. And we'll see what happens here. I know they're going to have the draft in Vegas, but it's not going to be open to the public. I don't know if they're going to do it at a hotel, as they did many, many moons ago when the NFL draft was at the Marriott Marquis. For those who remember that, I'm sure they're going to have to let ESPN and the NFL Network in there to broadcast and obviously analyze everything. But with the way things are shaking up now, and it's still a little bit more than a month away, I believe April 26th is the first day of the draft, or maybe it could be even the 23rd. But the NFL is going to have to make a decision on that because who knows? It's probably going to have to be a uh, one of those old school silent drafts where you're just going to have Roger Goodell maybe in his office and he's just going to announce the picks whether he gets them by text, by email, by smoke signal, phone, whatever it may be. And you know what? If the NFL has to bite that bullet, then so be it. We get that the NFL draft is an extravaganza. They make it out more than what it should be. And I get that the fans, they're hyped up about it. And it's a good time because 
It's a month where you have the NHL, NBA playoffs. You also have baseball season. The Masters just finished. But that's not going to be the case this time around. And the NFL, as much as they want to puff their chest out to the world to say, hey, we're the big bad NFL. We could do whatever we want. And obviously opening the curtain to the business for the NFL season, for them to have the NFL draft, even with nobody in the building, could still be a detriment because of what is taking place with this coronavirus. So they do have to be smart about this, and especially with some of the older executives in the league, if they happen to be in there, and we all know that this virus is invisible, so somebody who's asymptomatic and you won't even know it from the one guy to the next, he's uh, going up to some owner or some GM, and then the next thing you know, they uh, become stricken with this thing. So they certainly have to be smart about this, and who knows what they're going to do. I'm sure they're going to have to make a decision here as we get closer to the end of the month. As far as the NBA is concerned, I know they have just a a potential mess on their hands when it comes to not only just paying the players, but we all know that the TV contract is huge, especially come playoff time. And with no end in sight with this virus, you have to wonder with the NBA taking out a $550 million loan to, I'm sure part of that's to do the cover the player salary through April 1st. And then after that, it's uncertain. They don't even know what they're going to do. This was something that obviously blindsided them. It's totally unexpected. And when you look at the league now for the future, if there is going to be a playoff, you would think that they'll hold their collective size of breath and hopefully exhale once this thing clears, if it does clear. Because the last thing that the NBA does not want to do is push their season deep into the summer knowing that the turnaround for an October start is right around the corner. Now, I would think that if this does happen, let's say for argument's sake, June 1st, the NBA resumes play and they're probably going to have to just take the last two weeks of the regular season just as a tune-up to get them started for the playoffs because even if you start the postseason let's say June I'll just say June 17th now you're running into August 17th 18th to end the NBA season so maybe you push the start of the season to November maybe around Thanksgiving because now the NBA season starts in the middle of October it used to start around Halloween now it's starting around the 17th so maybe that if they could end their NBA season and crown a champion by the middle of August, that they could get started and hopefully maybe get the season on track sometime in November. And then the following year, you could pretty much go back to late October or whatever it may be when normalcy returns. But you wonder if there is no conclusion of an NBA season and certainly no playoff, you wonder if this is going to hamstring the NBA. Long term, who knows? But in the short term, it certainly looks like it's going to. So that's something to keep an eye on. Here as this uh, coronavirus just continues to, you know, it's not stopping. But the other NBA note that I found very intriguing, especially being a Celtic fan. So this hit me, I don't want to say hit home. That's a little strong. But when LeBron James was on his Instagram live feed for the very first time. And he divulged that if they did not come out of that Celtic series, the Eastern Conference final back in 2012 alive, that Pat Riley probably would have broken up the big three that came as a surprise because with contracts and remember these guys signed for those four years this was before the whole two years or one year and an opt-out no these guys were signed tried and true knowing that they were going to make a run at this thing for two or three championships as we all know they ended up getting two and making it to four straight NBA finals when they were together and of course that's Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh But when you take a look back at that series 
And when you see, pretty much you just look at starting from game five. Because even when Miami went up to a 2-0 lead and the Celtics came roaring back, so they even the series, but in the game five, when Paul Pierce hit that big three in front of LeBron, and it looked like that that was going to be the end. The game was down to Miami. Pierce went riding off, saying this is how you close. This is what a closer does. Because a lot of the knock on LeBron, remember, he had not won a title up to that point. He came off of his first year in Miami, losing to the Dallas Mavericks in that NBA final. And Pierce pretty much threw his testicular fortitude right at LeBron to say, this is what it takes. And I don't know if LeBron looked at that in the postgame or even absorbed it over the course of the 48 hours between games five and six. But we all know that game six, and I was salivating. I looked at that as an opportunity for dethroning LeBron yet again to go back to an NBA final, which pretty much would have been the last time that the Celtic big three of Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce would have performed in, considering what they did in 08 and 2010. So this was pretty much going to be their last hurrah. And in that game six, as we all know, LeBron with that steel look, with the demeanor of a ninja, and he just went in there and eviscerated the Celtics, as we all know, to the tune of 45-15-5. 19 for 26 from the field, and the Celtics did not have a chance. And then the crazy thing is that even in the game seven, tooth and nail, hard fought, that was the night, and I don't know where this came from, but that was the night Chris Bosch was in the corner draining threes and pretty much putting the heat over the hump in a game seven to where they made it to an NBA final. And then, of course, as we all know, beat the Oklahoma City Thunder of Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and yes, James Harden. But I think back a lot to that those that game five, six, seven, because when LeBron brought that up, I thought to myself, what have Riley done that? Now, somebody has to put a mic in front of Riley's face to see, hey, was that even a thought? And you would think at this point, Riley would probably look at that and say, no, that's not the case. This was our team for the four years. I'm sure he would take the high road on that. I don't think he would divulge any information as far as, oh, you know, it did cross my mind. Or, oh, you know what? Uh, I was this close. I don't think he would come out and say that. That would actually really be news. But LeBron said that. So, of course, the world's going to listen. And I'm obviously going to listen not only because it is LeBron James, but because of that series and how everything unfolded those final minutes of Game 5, obviously into Game 6 and even Game 7 where the Celtics were in it and actually could have Gone to an NBA final, but Chris Bosh hit some big shots. LeBron hit a dagger three, if I'm not mistaken. I think the big three that he hit at that game. The Celtics, I think, were down by four. I want to say it was 83-79 with about a little over two minutes to go, and LeBron hit a dagger three, which to me, that was the game. And I want to say 83-79, but, and they put him up by seven, and then they were off and running. But I found that fascinating that he brought that up because not even just from the standpoint of breaking up the big three, but just the moments leading up from game five to game six to game seven and how just thrilling all of it was. Even though game six was a bore, if you're a Celtic fan or a basketball fan, because the Heat certainly dominated pretty much from start to finish, led by LeBron. But uh, just something to bring up there here as we uh, just try to pass the time and take a little trip back uh, memory lane here since uh, we don't have any other sports or any other games to report. So I just thought that was fascinating. The NHL has now been impacted here with the coronavirus as two Ottawa Center players. First, it was one, and then another was announced, I believe, just uh, maybe even Saturday, 
where two of their players have come down and tested positive for coronavirus. They did not disclose who the players in particular were, which is their business, and that's fine. I get that the world we live in, everybody wants to know, oh, who is it? Who's the guy? Who's the player? Who's this? Who was that? You know, and then I forgot to even mention this. So let me piggyback. Speaking of coronavirus, I know Kevin Durant was one that came down with tested positive, no symptoms, feeling fine. Three other net players as well. They haven't announced who those players are, but considering I'll just put this all under one umbrella now, even though I've moved on from the NBA, but Durant, who, as we all know, came here with the Achilles, knowing that this was going to be a year off. Now he has this to deal with, which certainly doesn't, it hurts the NBA, and we all know the type of year the NBA has had. But as far as the center of the players are concerned, who knows if they'll ever release the names of those two players. They are not in the playoff hunt. They uh, won't make it to a postseason. You would think that at some point, maybe once they do start up, if they do start up playing hockey again, uh, they will certainly announce who those two players are. But then again, we don't know how many other players have been affected, how many other teams have tested, have the results come back. And we're talking about all 30 teams and not even just in the NHL. We got the NBA, you got baseball, everything. As we all know, that's how this pandemic has uh, certainly taken shape and uh, pretty much have taken over the world. It's not even just sports, it's everything else. The NHL right now, you pretty much don't have anything. It's pretty much quiet. I understand that was the big news there. Even Johnny Boychuk, let me throw him in the mix, talking about players' health. Remember, he got that skate to his eye against the Canadians there, which was very scary. Thankfully, it was actually right above his eyelid, 90 stitches in the crease there. He says once play begins, that he will come back and join the team, which was great news. We all know the Islanders are trying to push for a playoff spot, and they're certainly going to need him front and center to anchor the blue line for the Islanders. But as we all know, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen as far as play is concerned, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Everybody certainly knows that. That's it with the hockey. As far as baseball is concerned, the health of two players in the AL East certainly impact each of their teams. We all know the Yankees had a ton of injuries, but the main one in particular is Aaron Judge because we all know the last two years he's certainly been Decimated by injuries, whether it's a rib, he had that uh, oblique muscle, and then obviously he broke a wrist a couple of years back when he got hit by a pitch. So now they're saying that the cracked rib that he had was also part of a punctured lung, which is fully healed, but the rib has not. Obviously with this time off, it's a thing where he doesn't have to worry about surgery. There was talks about him maybe even removing a rib, but now with this indefinite amount of time, not knowing when baseball is going to start up again, Certainly bodes well for the health of Aaron Judge. Amongst their other players, whether it's Giancarlo Stanton, also their starting pitcher, James Paxton, etc. And if you're a Red Sox fan, the worst news that you could possibly fear is the one Chris Sale needing Tommy John surgery for his left elbow. Does it come as a surprise? Probably not, considering how he pitched last year. And certainly this spring, He had to shut down because of his elbow, and it's been official that he's going to need Tommy John. I don't know if he's had it yet. Chances are he probably have it, I guess, this coming week since the news did break down in the middle of last week. So you're looking at his return being the middle of next year. And he's coming off the heels of signing a five-year, $150 million contract, which I believe starts this year. So you're not going to see him for a year and a half. I know for any Red Sox fan that had any aspirations of making a postseason, Knowing that Mookie Betts is gone, now Chris Sale is gone, it's certainly gotten a lot that much slimmer for them to even think about making a wild card run in the American League. But of course, that's why they play the games. We'll certainly 
see how that shakes down. But we all know that uh, losing their big cog there, their rotation, Chris Sale is uh, certainly one that's going to be tough to bounce back from, even though he has not been the same Chris Sale here over the last year plus. And as far as college basketball is concerned, people, we all know about the tournament. But CBS did the right thing. And I thought that they, I may have mentioned this last week off the top of my head, I don't recall. But I know that uh, with people at the job, people that I've come across, what are they going to do, CBS, as far as all this broadcasting is concerned? And what they did was over the weekend, not necessarily Thursday, Friday, but Saturday afternoon, they replayed a few big games that happened in tournament history, whether it was the 82 championship between Georgetown and North Carolina. We all know that that's iconic in many ways. That was uh, Patrick Ewing going up against Michael Jordan. And of course, Jordan hitting the game-winning shot. Houston and NC State, Jim Valvano going up against Five Slamma Jamma and Clyde Drexler, and at that time, Akeem Olajuwon. And we know how that ended with Derek Wittenberg and Lorenzo Charles, the pseudo-alley-oop, or pretty much the accidental alley-oop. Duke, Kentucky, the 92 regional final down at the old Spectrum in Philadelphia. Need I say more? Christian Leitner. And they also played the Villanova, North Carolina. Chris Jenkins, the three-pointer at the buzzer, leading Villanova to their national title victory, which was, of course, a classic ending to a championship game. And you would think that maybe even this coming weekend, as the Sweet 16 would have begun on Thursday, you would think they'll probably do the same there Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon to bring back some of those old classic games. And that's what's going to get the nostalgic college basketball fan. I get you could probably watch it on YouTube and you rather do something else in the spring. Obviously, you can't go too far, especially if you're in New York, Seattle, or Washington. But then again, no matter where you are in this country, you're certainly going to try to Keep yourself distant away from people. So if you are home on a Saturday afternoon or if you are mowing the lawn, if you own a home or if you're cleaning the apartment, you know you could put that on the background and and reminisce to some of these old college basketball games. So that's a good thing. And with the college basketball season pretty much coming to a close, you have some players that are declaring for the NBA draft, whether you're Duke's Trey Jones, Auburn's Anthony Edwards, where ESPN has them ranked as the number one prospect going into the draft. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of other players follow suit. So that's something to pay attention to. Although, to me, you really didn't have that top guy. I know Cole Anthony, North Carolina, was a guy that a lot of people thought could have been the number one pick of the draft, but he had his injury early on in the season. And with Carolina not having a big year and, of course, not making the tournament, one could question whether or not he's uh, worthy of being a top pick overall. But you're going to see a lot of these, whether college freshmen or even sophomore, starting to declare for the draft. Obviously, I'll keep an eye on that as we uh, certainly will continue to move along. And uh, that's what you have, people. I mean, other than that, I can't uh, pretty much draw up anything else. To think opening day would have been this coming Thursday. We would have had another baseball season. And obviously with the Astros and their controversy, it's funny. That is now long forgotten in the sports fans' eyes. And who knows? That may actually help the Astros out in the long run. And I'm sure that they're going to feel the effect once, if and when baseball does rear its beautiful head. But... Right now, the Astros are the furthest thing from everybody's conscious, of course, with this coronavirus just taking over everything. And I'll close out with this before I get to my hero and zero of the week. As I said last week, and I'll say it again, people, just stay safe, stay positive, but at the same time, stay active. And what I mean by that is, so whether you're holed up with your wife, your girlfriend, your kids, even if you live with your parents, in-laws, whatever it is. Just make sure that you keep your conversation flowing. You keep the communication lines flowing. 
you don't want any miscommunication at this point. You want to make sure that, hey, I need to go out for a run. You're going to do that. And if you're going to do it, you're not going to do it in the city streets where there may be a lot of foot traffic, a lot of pedestrians. You want to try to get to somewhere isolated, a park, a lot of trails, open lanes, whatever it may be. Or this is a time to work on your endeavors if you're home like I am. And like everybody knows, this is my passion. This is what I love to do. So this comes natural. But for those who have the big picture in mind, whether it's whatever projects you want to do, even if it's in the home, you want to add another section to your home or whatever it is, whatever that's going to bring you peace, whatever that's going to bring you joy, just do that. Because as we all know, this is a time where we certainly have to be wise. We certainly have to be conscious of everyone and everything around us. As this virus is invisible, we don't know anybody, whether you're four years old or 400 years old. It doesn't matter. You just have to just use your noggin when it comes to even going to the supermarket. Just try to keep your distance from people. We all know about the hashtag social distancing. Yeah, we get that. But we understand we cannot be locked down 24 hours. We do need to get some air. We do need to see some sunshine. We do need to have a semblance of a life. But if you're going to do that, people, again, just not be reckless. Just don't go into a place where there's a bunch of crowds or if there's a supermarket where there's people standing outside in lines, which I've seen a couple of times here over the course of the weekend. You know that that's not a place you want to go into if there's people waiting outside because that means it's jammed inside. So that's all I'm going to say, people. And right, also, physical exercise, that's important. We can Netflix ourselves to death. We can only read but so much stuff on the internet. Of course, avoid the news, but stay informed. Don't let that consume you to the point where you get depressed and you just eat up your whole kitchen in a matter of 24 hours. We don't want that either. So, yes, does that mean go for a walk, go for a drive? As I do, go for a run, do that. Because that's just as important than keeping yourself at distance from people or being outside or even more so being inside, being away from everybody because we all know cabin fever is going to play a part in this as much as you want to avoid anybody outside of the four walls that we live in. But again, you just have to mix it up. And on top of that, and as I said, and I'll say it again, you just have to be smart about it. So if that means getting into a different hobby at home or trying to research something that you never thought you would research before, yes, because there's only but so much TV, so much you could read, so much music you listen to, even podcasts you could listen to. I get that. I'm sure there's a lot of podcast heads that listen to a plethora of podcasts. Hopefully mine is one of them, but my point is is that you can only listen, watch, read with so much, so you're going to have to get out there at some point, even if it's just for an hour. Just get out there, stretch your legs, stretch your arms, get a little brisk walk or even a jog in, and all will be right in the world. And hopefully we just continue to ride this out and that this thing ends a lot sooner than it will later. So let me get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week And I'll give a props to Australia as well, but I'm going to give it to Canada because they're the first country that won't send their athletes to Tokyo for the Olympics starting, I believe, in late July. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other nations that are going to follow suit. You would think that Canada now has been the first to throw down the gauntlet. I believe Australia was next in line. There's a few others. I know Norway. Forget about Italy. We all know Italy right now. They're going through just a a gigantic mess. With the whole coronavirus thing. But Canada, again, give them props. They were the first ones to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going. I don't care if this sucker clears up tomorrow. We're not going to do it. So good for them. And then my zero of the week, and this is easy, is the IOC. 
as corrupt and a bunch of crooks that they are, you would think that they would make the executive decision to say, we're going to postpone this to 2021. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. I get that there have been buildings constructed, venues, things of that nature. I get that. But considering what the sports world has done here, the entertainment world has done, pretty much every industry known to man, restaurants, etc. And I understand that July is still a few months off. But for everything you hear about this, and again, you don't want to consume too much of this news because you don't know what's left, what's right, what's up, what's down. But that this thing isn't going to stop. This thing is just going to continue to go on as time keeps ticking. But for the IOC to not make a decision, and then you know what their statement was? And this is even more preposterous than I could ever imagine. They say that they're going to release a statement to possibly postpone this in the next four weeks. Well, why don't you just wait until July 1st to then make an announcement? I mean, that's just a disgrace. How are you going to, I mean, you would think, all right, in the next week, we're going to make a decision on this. Where everybody else, known to man, rugby, and forget about NBA, NHL, all the soccer leagues overseas, rugby, you name it. They've shut down operations like that. And here it is, the IOC, and I get it's once every four years, and I know it's tough because then you have the hotel rooms and the venues and everything that's been built. You got to put it on hold. But what's more important, people? That's all I have to say about that. So shame on them. They're my zero of the week. And that's just to think, oh, we're going to announce something in the next four weeks. All right, well, hey, just let's wait till Memorial Day to make an announcement. I mean, that's just, uh, oh, please. All right, my good people. So that's it for the podcast. But guess what? There's going to be another podcast later on this week. That's right. On Wednesday, I'm going to release another podcast that I recorded on Thursday as I talked to a co-worker of mine who we work in the same department, but we don't work in the same building. He actually works in a building for the firm I work with in Minneapolis. So we're going to get a perspective of a tortured sports fan from Minnesota who has certainly seen a lot of heartache over the years. Because obviously I got to be a little creative with these podcasts. So I thought it would be great to bring in a fan. And he goes by the name of Headstyle. And I'll talk more about that, of course, when the podcast is released sometime Wednesday. I'd say probably Wednesday morning into the afternoon. Probably around lunchtime at the latest. So look out for that. Again, it just focuses on the tortured sports fan. So we had a very interesting conversation about that. Brought back a lot of bad memories for him. And uh, maybe some hope for the future as far as that region of the country is concerned. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. But as always, people, as we sit and wait this thing out, as we look for different ways to keep ourselves occupied, the one thing that I ask you to do as you're listening to this podcast or scrolling through it, or if you know a sports fan, a casual, diehard, whatever it may be, if you could please forward that to them, forward my podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, wherever it may be, just either tag them, forward it, send them the link, whatever it may be, because as we all try to get through this, we could always look for other means of entertainment, and for those who love sports, why not? This is pretty much the best place for a landing spot to get all the information regarding what's happening in the world of sports, and if you could do so by not only sharing this information with them, but also having them to subscribe as well as you guys. Please subscribe, rate, review on any of those podcast platforms that I mentioned. What that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast with the zillion of others that are out there and hopefully generate some interest with the outside forces of the world who don't know who the j Reels podcast is, whether that's hopefully getting the type of guest on here, whether it's a former athlete, current athlete, 
podcaster, broadcaster, writer, sports writer, whatever it may be, blogger. Because what that's going to do, that's going to help bring more traffic, not only just to this podcast, to the website at jreels.com, but hopefully getting those type of guests here for the future. Because we all know there are no games to report, so we're going to have to get content somehow, some way. And also on top of that, you could hit me up on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram at jreels or the jreels podcast. The jreels podcast is strictly for sports, but of course you could always hit me up on my personal account and that's jreels. Twitter is jreels1, just the number the J Reels Podcast fan page on Facebook and an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please, questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it is. Should I change the intro to the music of the podcast? Should I talk more about this sport? Should I talk less about this? Whatever it is, I'm open to it. I'll respond. Please feel free to do so. I would sincerely and greatly appreciate that. And again, look out for the podcast coming this Wednesday. As always, people, stay safe, stay strong, stay positive, always get it. And as I will continue to do so on my end, as I talk about everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast. On the flip, baby.